Hello, my name is Barbara Avila, and this is my Synergy Autism podcast, where I bring people together to share and communicate regarding autism. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud, where we have other podcasts that we know you'll love. So hello and welcome to today's Synergy Autism podcast. I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Jonathan Chase. Jonathan is a mentor, presenter, and consultant on the topic of autism. He's written a book we reviewed recently here on the podcast called From Surviving to Thriving. But today I asked Jonathan to join me to talk specifically about medical and dental appointments for people with autism or autistic children and adults. So thank you very much for being here. Sure. Um, Do you have any idea why I might want to talk about this with people or with my audience that have children with autism or any idea? I can't imagine that (laughs) anyone else has challenges around the sensory experience of having a stranger put their hands on them. Yeah, it's a very common issue that I have a lot of families that come to me and they're very stressed about either they're stressed or their children are stressed or both. Probably both. Probably both about upcoming medical appointments or having to put kids under um, to be able to get those things done because they're so stressed. Yeah, I, my family was banned from every dentist in town when I was a kid. Wow, why? Uh, because I couldn't handle the sensory experience. So what would you do? What would happen? Oh, I would freak out. I would run away or yell or push back we got uh kicked out of all of the barbers in town too oh we should have put haircuts in here too that's very true they're all kind of so what's what's similar about all three of those haircuts medical dental what's similar well you're going to a place that's not part of your normal routine yeah you're dealing with a person that isn't part of your routine or in your circle yeah and they're invading your personal yeah. space. Gets in really close to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're, the whole experience is usually pretty abrupt. Hmm. There's usually not a period where you get to know this person. Yeah, it's and, true. And people, and probably parents, like trying, let's just get it over quickly. And yeah. so it really is even more abrupt, right? Yeah, and especially for a kid, they don't know what's going on. And suddenly there's a stranger who's putting their hand in your mouth. That would so, be weird for anybody. Yes, for sure. So, before getting kicked out of these different dental appointments or hair places, at what point would you do you remember? Well, do you remember your first of any of those? They all sort of blur together. Mm. Um, but the dentist was the worst for me. Okay. Because I'm very sensitive to touch. Uh huh. So I remember as a child. Um, numerous appointments or I couldn't handle and they didn't listen if I told them I needed a break or I needed them to slow down or Mm. to tell me what they were going to do before they did it. So you asked for those things and they didn't do it? Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. I remember because I would think that those would be things that you'd probably recommend to make sure happen. Well I've, I've learned how to do that as an adult. Oh. But I think it came from a lot of people who didn't listen. Yeah. The worst, I don't know how old I was, but I needed just a dental cleaning. Mm -hmm. So they um, brought in a device that would lock my jaw open. And then they brought in Uh two um, assistants to pin my arms down. 
Wow. So they held me down to the table. Wow. Just to get it over with fast, probably, right? Yeah. Which you can imagine the experience being pinned down. Yeah. And then when I was older, I learned to advocate better. Mm -hmm. So my family went to a dentist when I was probably 13 or 14. So did you just uh, not go after For years, that? I For didn't years. go. Uh-huh, okay. Maybe a little older, because I think I was diagnosed with autism by then. So I was a young teenager. Mm-hmm. So we went to a big clinic with a specialist in autism and sensory support. Huh. And my dad took me, and the guy told my dad, have him sit on the table. He didn't address me at all. Oh. And... At the... At, as a young yeah. teen. Huh, and okay. So warning sign number one. Yeah, and <laughs> my dad sort of understood where I was at and that it was really hard for me. Mm-hmm. He said, well, he's got some questions first. And I, I was very defensive. And the guy wouldn't address me. He told my dad, just tell him to sit down and hold still so we could get this done. Really? Even the specialist with aut- uh, who specialized in autism? Yeah. Holy cow. He, okay. It was like I wasn't a person. It was like I was a... I don't know, an animal. Like you weren't able to comprehend, probably, is what he was imagining. It felt more like a veterinary appointment. Oh, yuck. Okay, very disrespectful. Sure. Now, I know not everyone's like that. Sure. And things are different now. And that was, yeah, that was a few years ago, so people are still trying to figure it out. But still, that's no excuse of, yeah, not treating you as a human. Yeah, and and I feel like I'm a pretty good self-advocate. Mm-hmm. So I felt like if if this is how these professionals treat me, someone who's very vocal about their needs, mm-hmm. imagine the experience of these kids who are less verbal or less yeah. able to articulate what they need. Yeah, definitely. Ugh. So um, I don't want to jump yet into like what you recommend. I'd mm-hmm. love to just stay a little bit more with your experience of different things if that's okay with you so okay so dental what so do you i know that temple grandum talks about how she remember like when she's about to do something she has like a mental image of whatever it was maybe the first time yes is that something that goes on with you so that now even now you go to the dentist and you remember your jaw being held open and all that or what happens to you now as an adult looking back well now i'm very cautious mm-hmm. so with all medical appointments whether it's a doctor or a dentist or a surgeon or anything mm-hmm. i go in and i advocate for myself and but before and that what's going sure. on for you like are well, you just super I'm, anxious i'm making or... a game plan the whole way there okay this is what i'm gonna ask for these are my boundaries so that's your coping strategy then. yeah so you're super anxious and you're using this coping strategy of creating a plan yes. how am i going to advocate for myself okay. yeah it, it okay. helps me feel like i'm more in control of the yeah. anxiety Huh. The anxiety is worse the less control I have. Yeah. And looking back, I think the worst experiences were the ones where I felt sort of helpless. Mm-hmm. Like other people are running the show and I don't have any input. Yeah. So have you ever had an injury that had to be taken care of? Um, like as a kid or? I had a couple of dental surgeries. Mm-hmm. Um, I broke a finger once, but I never needed a 
cast or... But did you have to go to the emergency room for um, urgent care or anything? I should have once when I fell down and injured myself pretty badly, but my mom is a nurse. Oh, that's so right. <laughs> she knew. She told me if we go in there, it's going to be really rough. I'm going to patch and you hours. up at home to uh-huh. avoid that situation. Oh, were you grateful for that? Now I am. <laughs> Not in the past. You weren't yeah. at the time, Amy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I've, so, I've been through also, um, I have heart defects. Oh, yeah. So I've had a lot of tests every one to two years for my entire life. Yeah. I've, and I'd love for you to tell a little bit also about some of the other tests or assessments you've chosen to yes. do. Yes. So I've also volunteered for a lot of neuroscience research Mm -hmm. over the years. So I've done a lot of... You've flown to North Carolina around Yeah, I've done work with Duke University and the University of Washington Uh in their autism research. So what did that look like? Like, what were the appointments like? I did a number of EEGs Mm -hmm. where they put... uh, over a hundred sensors around your head and measure your uh, the electrical signals coming out of your brain. Uh-huh. And then I've done several MRIs, uh-huh. which are a lot more uncomfortable. Yeah. So tell me about the, well, tell our audience about the MRI experience. Some people might not even know what an MRI feels like. So, t- so take us through what it looks like. So you. Well, there's different kind of MRIs depending on what they're looking at, Mm -hmm. but you're laying down on a board that goes into a very narrow plastic tube. Mm -hmm. So not real comfortable. And then you're holding incredibly still Uh in a deafening environment. It's beeping and clacking and... Did they give you headphones? Yeah, for... um, my MRIs, I used earplugs and headphones, mm-hmm. and... You can still hear through it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's powerful, so you can feel it. You can feel the vibration of the magnets through your whole body. So for um, neuroscience research, your head has to be perfectly still. Mm-hmm. So they put your head into a cage... Oh my goodness, I'm already getting claustrophobia. (laughs) So for these tests, they'd lock your head into a plastic cage, and they'd give me a clicker in my hand, because I was going to be doing testing throughout the experience, Mm -hmm. and then there was a mirror over my Oh, so it was an fMRI, functional MRI. Yes, we did both kinds. Okay, okay. So I'm looking at a mirror to click the button on prompts on a screen outside of the room. Wow. So we did a couple of those, and then we also did a DTI, which is Diffusion Tensor Imaging. Huh, I don't know that one. It's a more modern MRI that looks at the white matter, so it actually builds an image of the electrical wiring in your brain. So do you have copies of all these all over your apartment? No. (laughs) But it's... It's fascinating, but the longest MRI was about two hours. Oh my gosh, you were in there with your head. Oh, so, okay, so I'm already having images, no pun intended, of, <laughs> um, 
your jaw being held open, but your head being held. So what, what's the difference between the two? Why is one okay and one's not? Because I chose to do one. Yeah, control. Yeah. You feel and control. I, I had a purpose behind it, and I understood why I was there. So it was really intense, mm -hmm. especially the long MRI. There was a period where they're, when they're tracking the white matter, mm -hmm. you just lay still for over 45 minutes hmm. while this machine works around you. And you don't have to be doing anything at the yeah, same time? Yeah, just holding... Probably that helped, though, to be doing stuff well, but you lose the time. You lose track of time. Yeah. So I started having this fantasy that maybe someone had pulled a fire alarm or something and everybody <gasps> left and oh, just no. forgot about me. Is that a fantasy or a, or a fear? Anxiety? Maybe both. Wow. But when you're just holding perfectly still, your mind wanders. Yeah. So I started thinking, what if this just goes on forever? At what point do you say, <laughs> yeah. get me out of here? Yeah. Or like, um, what was the zombie movie? Um, I'm not Where much for zombie movies. He so. wakes up in a hospital and everybody's gone. Oh, I don't know. I had that Encino image. Man or something like that? One of those? 30 days Oh, I don't after. know. <laughs> I don't know. Probably our audience. Somebody in the yeah. audience will know. <laughs> I bet you have a lot of zombie movie fans. Yeah, maybe. You never know. But what, what was interesting for me about the MRIs uh -huh. was... A few years later, I had a heart test that oh. my doctor ordered where I needed an MRI. Mm -hmm. And it was so much harder. Really? Because I didn't choose it. There's also a different level of anxiety. One, you're going in and you know you're going to come out the other side with a healthy diagnosis. Yeah. With the heart issues, you probably were terrified also that something was going to show up. Yeah. But even just in the moment, yeah. it felt different. It felt huh. like, looking back, I think the difference was I knew I could bail when I was a volunteer. I knew that, worst case, I could just say, I've tried my best, but I can't do this. Oh, yeah. But when the doctor orders it, you have to stick it out. Mm -hmm. You don't have that option to opt out. Just funny, I know I've heard you talk before about how part of that planning process for yourself that you do like a flow chart. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of plays into that, that when you're, you know, you have a choice of leaving or not, you know, yeah. and if, you, if that choice is cut off, that that yeah. then is just a straight road to anxiety. Yes. Uh -huh. So with all of the, the medical appointments and dental and all that stuff, it's so much harder when you don't have an escape route. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, I guess then, so talk to me. Originally, I, I was going, I asked you in because I had a client who, well, there's a few reasons, but um, getting blood drawn um, is a common stressor for everybody. Yes. Um, especially people on spectrum, though it seems. Mm -hmm. And um, so much so that I don't know if you know, but the, we have this Oregon intervention system that's behavior approach that's used here in Oregon. And um, they have added now a restraint 
that they train everybody on of how to hold someone when they're getting a medical, something medical done. Yes. So whether it's, you know, if they're trying to have a a knee looked at or whatever, but especially for, yeah, for blood draw. Um, and I hear that again and again, that it's taking restraint. So tell me what's your experience with blood draws and, or, um, or even, uh, flu shots and things like that. I don't do well with needles. That's, that's one of my biggest fears. Uh-huh. And it's frustrating because it's not a real logical fear. Hmm. It's not something that can kill you. Uh-huh. It's something that's usually good for your health. And that's the hardest thing for me is anxiety around things that aren't logical. Hmm. Is it because you can't plan kind of to I, experience that moment of pain kind of thing? Or is it... Part, part of it's the control piece uh-huh. where you you have this other person who is in an incredible position of power over you for that moment when they have a needle inside your arm mm-hmm. and they're taking blood out of you. Mm-hmm. You have no control and you're supposed to give up your control to them. They always say it'll be worse if you move. Just hold still. <laughs> uh-huh. So, for my anxiety, I think that's a big part of it, mm-hmm. that I have no control over what it'll feel like, how long it will take. Yeah. If if something goes wrong, mm-hmm. there's nothing I can do to mitigate that risk. Yeah. I just have to go through this painful thing with no power. And that's really What keeps hard. you from realizing, though, that you do have the power to push them away? Well, then they're just going to do it again. Oh, okay. Okay. They'll, they'll just try again, so you might as well just do it the first yeah. time. Yeah. Huh. I, I, there's, so, there's a point where you can't just say, I'm never going to do a blood draw. So, if there was a blood draw that was similar to a study, like an MRI... Would you would that override your anxiety? Do you no, think? Not no, not for needles. Not for needles. It's a different sensory experience for me. Hmm. So tell me about the sensory experience, if it's okay with you. Sure. Of when's the last time you had to do it? Um, I had dental surgery about a year ago, hmm. and they had to do an IV. Oh yeah. And that was so much anxiety. Hmm. Just so they happened? had to give me a sedative before I even let them put the needle in. Did that help? A little bit, but the anxiety was so much. Uh-huh. And then afterwards, when I woke up, they wouldn't take the IV out for a while. And <laughs> it just it felt like I was sitting in that bed forever, mm-hmm. just... I could feel it under my skin, and I'm so sensitive that I, the more I thought about it, the more sensitive I was. Yeah. And the more everything in my brain said, get that thing out. Yeah. Okay. So you have every right to tell me to back off when I ask you a question. Okay. Okay. So I know that you chose to be put under with the IV Mm -hmm. to avoid the regular dental 
scenario. Yes. I was too sensitive to have that kind of work done while I was conscious. So how did you make that decision with your fear of needles being so strong and you know you had to have that in order to be put under to, but then how did you make, how did you balance those two things? Like that sounds. In that case, I had a broken tooth. Oh. And I figured if I waited longer, it would be worse. And then they do worse dental stuff. So okay. the sooner it was over with, the better it would be and the less I'd have to go through. So I, I know, could... but, but why, a, a, why not awake <coughs> and fast versus needle and being put under? Well, I'm so sensitive to dental work uh-huh. that it, it took years to learn how to advocate for myself. Yeah. To even have a, the most basic exam done. Uh-huh. So I knew that having real serious surgery in my mouth, I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. For that make, length of time. Yeah. Probably, I, too, I right? don't think I could physically keep my jaw open long yeah. enough. So yeah. I had to be sedated. Yeah. And it took a year on the wait list <sighs> to get that surgery. So by the time I was there, I could sort of talk myself into it. You've been on this mm. wait list forever. Right. It's important for your health. Uh-huh. It's going to be miserable, but I try to give it some context uh-huh. and say for every hour that you're in this situation, if you have a year without having to have this hmm. thing, this work done, yeah. That ends up being it's a pretty it. good investment. Yeah. Okay. Not having to go back again. Yeah. To have another thing fixed or changed or extracted or whatever. So I'm going to switch gears back to, let's be really specific, back to the needles. Mm-hmm. What, I'm going to ask you two different questions. What advice do you, I'll tell you what both of them are. You can okay. choose which one to answer. So... What advice would you have for a super verbal child with autism, maybe tween-ish, 10 Mm -hmm. to 12? And then same with a child who's Mm nonverbal. So um, what advice would you have for the parents or even for the dentist or... Or the doctor. I guess needle, so yeah. doctor, yeah. Well, I could tell you what, work, what, what works for me. Okay. Um, my strategies, maybe they'd work for other people, but mm-hmm. we all have different anxiety. Right. Sure. Um, the first thing for me is I don't want to... I don't want to see the needle. I don't oh. want to see any of it because it just creates that anxiety loop. So I have to stop you just for a second. Sorry, we have yes. some furniture moving upstairs, and so yeah. that's causing some background noise. Sorry about that. It looks sounds like it's finished. Okay, okay. go ahead. <laughs> so when I see the needle, I think about the needle, and I just I ramp myself up. I... Meaning that if somebody hid the needle until right before, that would be better for you? Yes. So I tell okay. them when I have to have blood drawn, uh-huh. I tell the doctor before they bring it in, I say, I don't want to see it. I want to you know, put a paper towel over the whole tray. Oh. 
I don't want to see the vials. I don't want to see the syringe. So your imagination just goes at that moment, right? I'm um, a visual thinker. Yeah. So when I see it, yeah. I make that connection instantly to, to the pain. Yes. Yeah. So, and I tell them while it's in, I don't want to look. Hmm. And when it's over, cover everything. I don't want to see the any blood or anything yeah. after. And I'm not afraid of blood. Uh huh. It's just that context uh-huh. is somehow different. But I like that because oftentimes like, people do think, oh, well, if they see the process, they'll feel better about it. That is actually a really common approach with kids in particular, mm-hmm. like the dentist. Okay, I'm going to show you the instruments I'm going to use, and I'm going to, you know. But even at the dentist, do you want them to hide well, what they're using, too? I think it's different there than with needles. Oh, okay. And the needles, there's really no question what they do. <laughs> there's not a lot of mystery yeah. with a syringe. It's true. Yeah. So um, the other strategy I use is I want a conversation about mm. anything else, and I don't want to know when it's going to start. Hmm. I've found, I've tried it both ways where... I've had them say, okay, here it comes, three, two, one. And for me, that countdown, like, time slows down mm. because I'm anticipating it. Uh-huh. So it's like I'm putting all of my, my uh, awareness, I'm spotlighting what's about to happen. Right. Which yeah. makes it more intense. Yeah. I think if, if you do that with anything, yeah. you amplify it. Totally. So I tell them, I say Let's talk about a movie or a concert or something. Oh. And, or sometimes I'll have them just ask me a question. Like, tell me about a musical scale. They'll so, have you say that? No, I'll say that to them. I'll say, ask me a question about guitar. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> so I'll start l- verbally writing through a chord chart. Okay, Autumn Leaves is A minor 7 to D dominant to G major 7. Right there, my brain goes to a different location, and it takes all of my focus away. Yeah. And while I'm reciting that chord chart, they could do the flu shot or the blood draw or whatever, Yeah. and I'm not hyper-focused. It's interesting. I'm just so fascinated about how different people with autism experience sensory. Mm-hmm. And that's just an interesting, I mean, I've, the interesting way to think about it for me you experience it, of where your, I mean, it's obvious, where your attention goes, right, is Mm -hmm. going to amplify, to use your words. And so from a sensory perspective, the more you focus on it, the more you're going to feel it ten times more than if you weren't thinking about it. Hmm. I'm trying to decide if that's true for everybody. I don't don't think so. Probably maybe not to the extreme. So Einstein said that time is relative. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is he said that um, if you put your hand on a hot stove, a minute feels like an hour. (laughs) But sitting on a bench talking to a pretty girl, an hour feels like a minute. Mm -hmm. That feels true to me with those sorts of sensory experiences. Huh. Slow just, or time just, slows way yes. down. And, huh. So I know my my accommodations aren't going to work for everybody, 
but they might work for some. Okay, so for a really verbal 10 to 12 year old, it sounds like, um, I, I, I totally agree with you, it's not going to, we may not necessarily work for everybody, but that you might recommend either distraction and like having them, what I like about that is not just distracting them with something like a iPad or something like that, which mm-hmm. some dentists will do nowadays. But probably what you're saying is getting their mind in the game to be able to tell you something yeah. that they're really into, maybe. One of their specific topics. Exactly. And okay. that's one of the, the autism-specific pieces, is a yeah. lot of those people are going to have a yeah. specific topic of interest. Yeah. And you'll often see a change in their awareness or attentiveness mm-hmm. when they go to that focus. Yeah. Which does Which give you... Which you could do with a nonverbal, too. Mm-hmm. The kid who's nonverbal, it could be something that they are really good at that you make sure to bring with you. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I have a kiddo who's nonverbal who's really good at different locks and things like that. And so, like, um, he just loves anything metal. So, like, bringing bolts and um, mm-hmm. nuts and bolts to undo, like, might be something you actually bring to the dentist or to have a blood draw. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and for the for the verbal ones, I think it's the biggest thing is ask if they have questions. Mm-hmm. Ask how they want things. Do they just want to, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to get it done as quick as I can? Yeah. Or do they need some processing time to get ready for what's going to happen or figure out what they need to get through it? So, um... You know social stories, and a lot of people get use those mm-hmm. for prepping yes. um, people for what's going to happen. What do you think about that for either blood draws or dentist or whatever? I think everyone's needs are different, mm-hmm. but I probably do that for myself just in my process while I'm driving mm-hmm. to the clinic. Mm-hmm. I'm kind walking, walking through. This mm-hmm. is who is going to do it. This is what's going to happen. These are the questions you're going to ask. Mm-hmm. Which okay. probably follows what you do with a social story. Social story. Mm-hmm. Well, some social stories, I mean, there's even like Berenstain Bears has a book about going to the dentist, those kinds mm-hmm. of things. So, so they're usually fairly generic. Yes. Unless um, there are a, a lot of amazing parents who will go in and take pictures and, and mm-hmm. do it much more specific to the scenario, but there's both. Anyway, okay. And, um, and the other um, thing that I don't think we we talk about enough as an accommodation is the pacing, mm. where usually the the medical professional is doing everything at their speed, mm. but that doesn't always have to be the case. Uh-huh. So since dental work is hard for me, mm-hmm. I've developed my own system, oh. and I find. Um, professionals who are willing to do it my way. So tell us what what's your way? So I tell them I want to know exactly what's going to happen. I want to know which tooth they're cleaning. Mm-hmm. I want to know what tools they're using. When they are telling you, do you use the mirror and they show you and all that? I don't want to see it. You don't want to see it. Because okay. I, I can't see it when it's in my mouth. Right. But okay. I want to know what it's going to feel like. Okay. So because that's the hardest thing for me. I've created the most detailed accommodations for myself. Interesting. So I tell them I need like a, a safe word. I need a signal uh, to tell you 
I need a break. Yeah. And if you're going to do something that you can't stop halfway through, I want to know how long I need to be in that space. I think that's so powerful to know the length of something, like how long that's... So I would tell the dentist, well, I'm going to need you to do a little bit at a time and give me breaks. Uh Uh-huh. And if they'd say, well, for this kind of work or cleaning or whatever, I'm going to need time. So give me a countdown. Uh-huh. If you think it's going to take 20 seconds, count so I know how long I have to hold my breath. Yeah. And I um, I need some control. So at the dentist, I usually hold the suction tool. Oh, uh-huh. Because I have spatial awareness issues. Uh-huh. So I need to know where it is uh-huh. in my mouth. So now I have some level of control. I'm holding yeah. the, the object. I'm telling them what I need. I know that they're going to listen if I need a break. Mm-hmm. And then it's a lot easier to get through. Yeah, I bet you can't have a safe word when they're in your mouth. You probably have to have a high sign. <laughs> yeah, I'll raise my hand or I'll, or I'll put my hand on their wrist. Uh-huh. If in the past, before I found dentists that I trusted, uh-huh. I just grabbed their hand and pull it out of my mouth. Uh-huh. And just say, I'm done. <laughs> so how many breaks do you usually have during a typical cleaning? Well, before, a lot. Uh-huh. But I've gotten better over the years. Probably just knowing what's going to happen during yeah. that. Yeah. So now I go in usually three times a year. Oh. And I just tell them we're going to go slow. I'll do as much as I can, and there's some areas that are more sensitive, and you'll just have to work around that. So three times a year is more than the typical. Yes. So that's so that you can get it all done I just, in a year? I just, I need more regular cleanings than oh, most people okay. do. Okay. And okay. it's usually easier to go in more often, mm-hmm. so they can get things done more efficiently than waiting longer. Hmm. Okay. So at this point... I'm 36, and it took this long to find a system that works for me. How hard is it for you to find a dentist who, well, or medical doctor, whoever, that will respect your requests? In the last 15 years, I've seen two dentists. Wow. So, and I've tried a couple others, but... I don't trust them, and I do interviews with them now before I let them put anything in my mouth. Awesome. So tell me, tell us about the interview. Is I, that over the phone? Is it? In oh, person? I want I want to go in and see if in in the chair how they're going to act. Oh. Are they going to be respectful? Uh-huh. Are they going to ask me what I need? Uh-huh. I'm probably the nightmare patient. <laughs> I doubt that. But. But I'm very clear in these are my needs. Mm-hmm. I know that you have a job to do, mm-hmm. and I respect that. Mm-hmm. But to do that job on me, I'm going to need certain accommodations, whether it's a doctor or a dentist. Mm-hmm. Even um, with the doctor, now I've learned that when the nurse comes in to do it, or the assistant to do all mm-hmm. of the basic stuff, the blood pressure, blood pressure, and, yeah. and pulse and all that now i just tell them right away i say hey i'm very sensitive to physical touch Mm -hmm. i don't want you to touch me when i'm not prepared for it i Mm want to know what you're gonna do Mm -hmm. and as long as you do that you can do your job Hmm. but if 
if they come in and try to manhandle me. Yeah. Forget that, it. That, that doesn't work. Do you leave? Not anymore. <laughs> when I was a kid, I'd split. Yeah. What's interesting there to me is just as a society, we tend to give so much power and control to people in the medical, dental fields mm-hmm. that it takes a lot of guts to do what you're able to do of saying, this is what I need, um, that I wish so many more people knew. I mean, that's just to be able to say to somebody, I totally respect what you do, but this is who I am. And this is for us to be able to work together. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. So that's, that's a nice message for parents, especially of kids who are nonverbal to feel confident in saying that. And for the professionals, too, to recognize that respect goes a long way. Mm-hmm. That not every patient is the same. Not every autistic client is going to be the same. Yeah. They could do all of my accommodations and have none of them work for another patient sure. with the same diagnosis. Very good point. So my system only works for me. Yeah. But... I know why it works for me, Mm -hmm. and I think the why is what makes accommodations effective. Yeah, So even with people who can't articulate their needs verbally, Mm -hmm. we can still use that same system of evaluating their needs, considering their experience, Mm -hmm. and going in with a level of respect for their unique experience. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I think maybe we should um, conclude this podcast on that note. That's that's very um, succinct into it. So, what do you think? Sure. Sound okay? Well, thank you very much for sharing your experiences and being willing to share with so many other people who might be able to make that medical or dental appointment a little bit easier, just having that understanding. So, thank you. Great. Well, good luck to all of you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Synergy Autism Podcast, where we are bringing people together to talk autism. And if you'd like more, please go to our website at SynergyAutismCenter.com. You will find a lot of information, blog posts, courses you can take, and more. Again, SynergyAutismCenter.com. That's S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y. And Thank you again for listening.